really sums up what, what Paul's been writing to the early church of the region of Galatia, the early churches in that region. And there's one word that describes and sums up the entire book, what we would call the book Galatians, the letter to the Galatians. What's that one word? Do you remember? Freedom, yes. The entire letter that Paul's writing to these early Christians, these early churches, is all about freedom. They have had freedom given to them because of the grace of God through his one and only son, Jesus. But they started to give their freedom away by saying, well, I've got to earn it. I need to do something to deserve that grace, which obviously it kind of contradicts the idea of grace, a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. He gives it to us willingly because of what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. So Paul gets to the very end of his letter, and I've said it before. He reiterates himself. He says the same thing over and over and over in slightly different ways to help these early Christians understand the freedom that we were intended to have only because of his grace. So we get to this last part. You've got your Bibles. Head over to chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6. And if you actually have a Bible, I would really love you to turn there because I want you to see something that I'm not making up. I hope you believe that I don't make up scripture, but I really want you to to see this for yourselves because he does something that we don't really see anywhere else in scripture. We see something in the end of this letter that you don't really see in any of his other letters. Now, before I get into it, let me give you a little background on how Paul would write these letters to all these early churches and these individuals. He would have a scribe. He would be talking just as I'm talking to you, and he would have somebody next to him writing down everything that he would say. And, there's, and you can see this throughout his letters. He even mentions his scribe a couple times, so we know that he's not with his own hand writing this letter, but then something happens at the end of this letter, right here in chapter 6. If you go towards about the middle of it, verse 11, here's what he says. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words, and what does it say here? In my own hand. Do you guys have uh, people you text with back and forth? We all have a friend that uses all caps all the time. You know what I'm talking about? There's just that friend. You text them, hey, how you doing today? And they write back, great. And you're like, wow, stop shouting at me. That's what caps do. All caps, it's this. It goes from, hey, how are you doing today? And then you put all caps, how are you doing today? Do you notice the difference? That's what all caps do. So here, we need to read this passage the way that Paul intended. So here's how it really sounds. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. That's what he's really doing here. He's getting their attention and he's saying, pay attention. Look at these large letters we're writing. And I've told my scribe to take a coffee break and I'm actually going to write these last parts because I want you to see and hear. I want you to pay attention. So this last part is going to sum everything up that he would say to the early churches of Galatia. And here's what he begins to tell them. Verse 12, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. That's the freedom he's talking about. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want to be circumcised so they can. And what's his word? Boast. Circle that word. Only so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Now, he's given a specific example of circumcision here, which was part of the Old Testament law. And and that sums it all up. You've got a group of people that are trying to force the law on everyone else. Force the law. That's great that you believe in Jesus, but now you have to obey the law. Now you have to do everything for the law. And the law, 
Man, that's enslaving. That, that's difficult. We've talked about that. It's exhausting to try to do everything right all the time. And, you're, and whether you receive or don't receive grace is in the balance of that. That's difficult. But what he says here is that's not what's intended. He says, no, the reason they're trying to do that is so they can, what? What was that word? So they could boast about it. Boast about it. Now, this word boast, and you're going to see Paul use it again here in the next section, but he's going to compare what they boast about versus what he's going to boast about. Here's what boasting really means. Any NCAA, not football fans, we're past that. It is March Madness. You know that, right? You aware of this? All right, your homework has nothing to do with scripture. Fill out a bracket this week just for fun, just to make me happy that you would maybe at least pretend to like March Madness. So go UK, go Big Blue. Anyway, so what you'll start to see, because it's Selection Sunday, I won't try to explain that. You'll have to Google it since you're not into March Madness. But what they do on Selection Sunday, and it comes through all the tournament championships, game, championship games, you'll see teams win the championship. And what do they do? What is our natural response when we get a trophy? What do we do with them? We hold them up. We want everybody to see them. Now, I'll confess, these are not my trophies. These are my wife's trophies for volleyball and swimming. I don't have any. So I asked her if I could borrow hers from college and high school. Anyway, <laughs> I'm 0 for 2. You don't get into March Madness, and I don't have any trophies to actually boast about. So I'm going to boast my wife's trophies. So that's what we do. We, we have these, and we're like, yes, I did it. Look at my accomplishment. We hold them up high for everyone to see. That's exactly what it means to boast. And so what Paul is saying is there are people among you that just want to boast about what they have done. The disciples, this last part, says they, they want to boast about it and claim you as their disciples. They want to say, look at the people that are following us. Look at the people that are doing it our way. They're holding up the people that follow them and that they follow the law as perfect as they think they can. But Paul even says, even they can't follow the law perfectly. That's what they want to do, though. It's not about grace for them. It's rather, look what I've been doing. Look how great I follow the law. Look at all those who follow me. Paul is saying, don't, don't buy into that lie. If we boast about anything other than Jesus, not worth truly boasting about. And that's exactly what he says next. Very next part, verse 14. After he kind of describes what they boast about, he says, but as for me, verse 14, as for me, may I never, here's that word again, say it out loud, I never what? Boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter. Say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Matter. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Did you catch that? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how perfectly or imperfectly we followed the law. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. So Paul recognizes. There's a lot of people boasting about things other than Jesus and, and his grace. He says, but as for me, absolutely not. He says, the only thing I could ever boast about is what? The cross. He says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the only thing that Paul is holding up and the only thing he's telling us in the early churches of Galatia to hold up is not our accomplishments, not how well we do anything, but look at what Jesus did. Look at the grace we've received, 
Not because we've done anything worthy, but only because he said we, we needed it and that he loves us so much that he would do whatever it took to get us back to him. As for me, I would never boast about anything or anyone except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that Paul is saying is worthy to be held up and to boast about to anybody else around. Now, what's interesting is, as he's talking about the cross here, he shows the change that happened. He says, the only thing that I would ever boast about is the cross of Jesus. And because of that cross of Jesus, everything has changed. The cross changes everything. And he goes on and he gives two examples that really sums everything up of what would have changed. He says, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, has been, has been died has died and been nailed to the cross. And the world's interest in me has also died. Everything changed in Paul's life as soon as he accepted that grace, that free gift of grace. His interest in the world changed, didn't care to boast about anything else, wasn't trying to gain the prestige or the success or anything else that we might want to boast about, that we might line our life up to say, well, I'm, I'm aiming for this. I want to make sure I look like this. If you remember early on, we looked at one of the first chapters, early verse of Paul's letter to the Galatians, and it talked about how he was not a people pleaser. He says, am I trying to get approval from God or approval from other people? And he says, obviously, I don't care about what other people think. I'm only trying to gain God's approval. And he's kind of reiterating that here. He says, I'm not going to boast about anything or anyone because my interest in the world has died. The, the interest that the world has in me has also died. Nothing matters anymore except the cross because the cross changes everything. And that's what Paul's outlining. When we boast about the cross, it literally changes everything about our life. What we think, what we see, how we feel towards the world, and then the interest that the world has in us. Nothing else matters. But something most certainly does matter. It says it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or not, how well you follow the law. What counts is whether you've been transformed into a new creation. Paul talks about this in, in a similar way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. We gain that new life by Jesus' grace being accepted by us. We say yes to him. He moves in. We talked about it last week. The Holy Spirit does what in us? We get the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that word? Produce. Good job. <laughs> Got it. The Holy Spirit produces in us all this fruit. So Jesus dies on the cross so that we could have grace. And he offers us that gift. And we say, yes, I don't have to do anything. Jesus is like, no, no, no. I don't have to do anything to deserve it or anything. He's like, no, you can't. Here's the free gift. And so we accept that free gift of grace. And when we do that, we get the Holy Spirit that produces this new life in us. We're a new creation. Paul talked about it here as being transformed. That's the only thing that matters. Not the law, not how well we try to obey the law. Yes, it's important, but it's not about that. What really matters, what really counts is has your life been changed? And our life can only be changed by saying yes to the grace that only Jesus can give. That's it right there. That's what Paul's trying to get across to not just us thousands of years later, but the early churches of Galatia. The only thing that matters, church, is life change. How do you get your life changed? You say yes to his grace. How do you, how do you get God's grace? Well, he's already given it. You just have to say yes. 
And we can only get it because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's it. That's what really matters. That's what really counts. Transformation can only happen through, through that cross, as he said here in Galatians chapter 6. Now, next part. So he's kind of chunking this up. He started out with the megaphone saying, pay attention, my hand. Uh, scribe's not talking to you right now. I want you to get this. If you get one thing, get this. And then he shows the other side. Other people have been boasting about this. They're wrong. He says, as for me, here's what I would only boast about. That's the cross. Why? Because it's the only thing that matters. Why does it only matter? Because that's where I get my life changed from. The only thing that will truly change my life is grace that came about because of Jesus on the cross. That's all that matters. And then he sums it up or wraps it up with these last two verses. Verse 17. From now on, sounds like a very parent thing to say, isn't it? Pay attention, listen, listen, don't do this, do this, so let's talk about from now on. That's exactly what he's doing. From now on, so things are going to change. I've walked you through all of this mess you've got yourself into. So from now on, don't let anyone trouble me. I would say he would really have said, don't bother me. That's how we turn. Don't bother me with certain things. Here's what it is. Don't let anyone trouble me with these things. For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. And that is the end of the letter to the early churches of Galatia. That's how he ends it. From now on, don't trouble me with these things. What I think had happened to this point is obviously Paul is, is out on these missionary journeys, visiting these towns and these cities, helping people understand Jesus and his grace. All of his letters to these people in these early churches are that, helping people understand how to live a life with the freedom in, that we have in, in Jesus because of his grace. And what I think had been happening is just like you, you would write an, an email or a letter to your kid's school or to the government, I'm sure we've never done that before, or you complain to your pastor so you write it in the prayer. It's for prayer requests, not your complaints, by the way. <laughs> But we do that because we want to have a voice to things, right? So I think what had happened was the early church was, Paul, do you know what's happening here? Paul, you need to take care of this. Paul, you need to come and visit us again. And they're sending all these letters, and he's like, this is ridiculous. You're worried about things that don't really matter. So he tells them from now on, remember, grace is the only thing that matters. So don't trouble me with these things. We might use the word these petty things, these little things. It says, from now on, don't trouble me with these petty things, for I bear on my body the scars. Now, that word scars there is not literally talking about scars, but if you read through the life of Paul, he has plenty of literal scars. Everything from being, being stoned and left for dead to being shipwrecked and almost dying. I mean, you name it, Paul's gone through the persecution. So, yes, he had literal scars on him because of his faith. But the word that he uses here is talking more about a marking or a branding. He's saying, for on my body, these scars, they're, they're markings of who owns me. Who owns me? So in other words, it doesn't matter what, what petty things we deal with. And yes, that's part of life. He says, but at the end of the day, Jesus owns me. He owns my heart. He owns my mind. He owns my soul. He owns everything about me. So all those petty things, we can let them just kind of fall to the ground. Doesn't mean we don't care, but we most certainly don't make them the priority. For on my body, he says, marks scars that show I belong to Jesus. That's all that matters. He says, so we don't have to be troubled with all these petty things. Have you heard that phrase, let the chips fall where they may? Have you heard that phrase? Where do you think that comes from? I learned something new the last couple of weeks. I didn't know this. 
First time I heard that phrase, I just assumed that it was kind of like a poker term, you know, a gambling term. Well, uh, hey, all in and let's just see where the chips fall, see how it ends up. You may use it in that context, but literally that phrase came from the logging world of like lumberjacks. And what they would say is they would have a tree that they were trying to cut down. And if you've ever cut down a tree, I've never actually cut down a tree, but I've heard of people that have. And so as I've heard their wonderful stories and accounts of cutting down trees, every time you swing an axe, what flies off of the side of the tree? Little wood chips, right? And as a logger, as a professional logger, every time you swing that axe, you know that chips are going to go flying. And as a logger, are you more concerned about the big tree you're cutting down or where all of these wood chips are falling? Where? Almost certainly the tree. Those loggers that cared more about the, the wood chips aren't loggers anymore because <laughs> they weren't paying attention to where the tree might fall. And so that whole phrase, we know what it means. It's you don't worry about all these little things. You pay attention to the priority. You pay attention to the priority instead of all of the petty things. That is exactly what Paul is saying. Don't let anyone trouble me with these petty things. In other words, there's one priority. That priority is Jesus. It's the grace that we have because of what he did on the cross. So the question is, are we troubled with the petty or the priorities? Sometimes we get them mixed up, don't we? It's very easy to get the petty and the priority mixed up. Usually, it's because of what we would call the tyranny of the urgent. Well, it has to happen right now. It's what's in front of me. And we get so caught up on where these wood chips are flying, we forget there's a big tree we're, we're really tasked to cut down. So often, those, those get flip-flopped. I was thinking through my week just this last week on how the petty have kind of taken priority over the priority. So here's some things that I would, I would deem probably very petty, in the grand scheme of things with what Paul's talking about, but nonetheless, it's become a big deal for me, and I made it a big deal this last week. For one, you better be in this same boat. I'm a little troubled that we lost an hour of sleep last night. That troubles me greatly. I think we just need to leave it alone from here on out. Just leave it alone. But that's, that's, a, that's a petty thing, but it kind of becomes a big deal. Carpooling is, some would say, petty until you've gone through it. It's a big deal. It's a nightmare. It's a mess. I take, I only do it a couple times a week. My wife's doing it the rest of the week. And I'm like, I, I physically and emotionally cannot do this more than twice in seven days. I just cannot, I cannot walk through that process. It's difficult. It's kind of petty, but man, we just make it such a big, a big deal. Getting our family where they need to be at that time. Seems like a petty thing, but oh man, it becomes such a big deal. On Monday, for example, I get off at work, Connor had school. As soon as I get home, Becky already had like the boys ready and I got Connor right there in the, and we swapped cars so I could take him to soccer practice. Well, we had to leave soccer practice early because we need to go from soccer practice back to school for daddy night. Daddy night was great, but somewhere we had to have dinner. And I said, Connor, we've got to run because we got to be at your school in like 20 minutes. And he said, well, are we going home for dinner? I said, we don't have time to go home for dinner. And he got real excited. He said, are we going to a restaurant? I said, yeah, yeah, we're going to swing through a restaurant. He said, Cracker Barrel? <laughs> I said, no, they don't have a drive-thru. And I this was cute. He was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, <laughs> he's like, so are we going to go to Old McDonald? I said, yes, we're going to Old McDonald instead of Cracker Barrel. But even just that on last Monday of trying to go from here to here to here to here. I mean, it was a nightmare and it was troubling. And I got home and I'm like, I never want to do that again. But in reality, it was just petty things. It wasn't a very big deal. Probably the most thing that bothered me this week and really troubled me was Wi-Fi in my home. It's getting, getting an internet speed above a creep. 
so that I could finally start binge-watching Netflix again. Uh, but it's just, it's just not going to happen this week. So we, we get troubled about so many things that in the moment seem like a priority, that seem like a big deal. But in reality, Paul's saying, don't even trouble me with these things. So the question is, what troubles you? What keeps you up at night? What was it for Paul? He was very clear. He said, it's all about life transformation. That's all it's about. Our life change happens because of Jesus, because of that cross. That's it. Everything else is petty. Everything else is just wood chips. Let them fall where they may. Yes, we need to get things done. Yes, I've got to sit in carpool line. Nothing is going to change that until Jesus comes back. I get that. Or they can drive. Maybe Jesus will come back first. That would probably be better for me as a parent. But until the, one of those happens, we're going to have to deal with the wood chips and we're going to have to deal with the pity. But it doesn't mean it has to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be the priority. Paul says, don't trouble me. Don't be troubled with these little things because I belong to Jesus. That's all that matters. I belong to Jesus and helping other people come into a relationship with him. Life transformation. Remember last week we said earlier, it doesn't matter how well you follow the law. It doesn't matter all these petty things. What really counts, what really matters is life change, life transformation. So man, I, I hope not just me and not just as a church, but you in your context, in your environments, in your families, the most important thing is life change through Jesus. Is life changed because of Jesus, what he's producing in us, the grace that we receive and the freedom that we have because of the cross. I pray that that is, that is it. And that we can eventually get to a place where we view everything else as just wood chips, as just things that just kind of, they'll land where they may and we'll deal with them. But at the end of the day, the only thing that truly matters is life change. Life change happens because of that cross, because of the grace that we've received from Jesus. That's the only, I'm saying the same thing. I'm, I'm hoping it's starting to sink in. It's the only thing that matters. May the chips fall where they may. Now, how do we do that? Easier said than done. I get that. Well, first, it's a, it's a question of me, of you. Internally, do I know Jesus? Have I accepted that grace? Or am I still trying to earn it and live a life that's deserving of it? Or have we said, I, I believe, and I'm a mess, but... Jesus, I'm absolutely desperate for you and your grace, so yes to you. And have we let him move in? That's why we celebrate baptisms. Not that baptisms save us, because that would be on the side of trying to earn it. If that was the case, I would just walk around with a spray bottle and you know, spray everybody and make sure that everybody's going to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. It's a heart issue first. And we say, Jesus, yes. And then out of that comes a celebration of saying, I want everybody to know. I want it to be a public declaration, a public acknowledgement. And yes, out of obedience, of course. So we, we get baptized to show that public declaration. To follow in Jesus' footsteps, to follow in his obedience as well. So if you've not made that decision, that, it starts there. What really matters is that, is you giving your life to Jesus. And after that happens, guess what really matters next? Helping other people have that as well. Now, understand, we cannot change hearts. There's, there's no magic prayer that you will find in Scripture that you can pray over somebody and they will just come to know Jesus. There's nothing we can really do. We can stack the deck as best as we can, I believe in that. But at the same time, it's really praying that Jesus would change hearts, that they would come to a re, a, into a relationship with him. So, man, we, first we pray for other people. And we, we make the introduction. That's really our role in helping other people come to know the grace of Jesus, is we pray for them. 
and we help set up the introduction. That's why I encourage you. Heard Sean talk about Easter. We've got invite cards out in the lobby. I've got yard signs for you to put outside your neighborhood or your place of business that just point people to Easter here at Mountain Lake. We're going to be in the theater, same time, same, same place, and it's going to be a way to introduce people to Jesus. I'm telling you right now, my goal at the end of Easter is that people would know Jesus. And if you're not ready to tell somebody about Jesus, invite them so that I can tell them about Jesus. And then they can see what Jesus looks like here. We invite people. We tell people our story. That's why you have a story card right there in your cup holder so we can tell people our story. Here's how Jesus has changed my life. Do you want to know how he could change your life? We give people an opportunity to actually know the New Testament. The Old Testament is great. It gives so much context and there's such great lessons and, and God moments that we can pull from. But it's, it's the New Testament. It's the gospel, which means good news, that we're saved because of grace, because of Jesus, not by anything that we could ever do. There's a ministry that um, I'm going to be talking a lot about today and this week and probably the, the week after that, all through March. Uh, this ministry is called Elam Ministries. And what they specialize in are getting New Testaments into the, the country and the surrounding area of Iran. And in that area, it is illegal to have a Bible or a New Testament. It's illegal to be a Christian. Um, but that's an area where the church is growing rapidly. This is a, an Iranian New Testament that Elam works to get and smuggle into the country and then works to get into people's hands for this reason alone. Exactly what Paul said, for life change, for life transformation. We, not, we may not as a church and myself, I probably will never go to Iran. You may or may not ever go to Iran or another area. But the New Testament is what begins to change people's lives because they get to meet Jesus. There's one thing that really matters. There's a lot of petty things that, that we're going to deal with in life, but may we, like Paul, say, let the chips fall where they may. What is truly troubling is people need to know Jesus. That's it. And I would say if we could spend the rest of our lives focusing on that one thing, at the end of our days when we stand before Jesus, we get to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I, I've had the opportunity to, to meet several of those folks uh, that work with Elam, and next Sunday, you do not want to miss, um, because we are going to have uh, a couple, a married couple, Amir and Bahar, that are from Iran and are former Muslims, and they are going to talk about the first time that they were handed a New Testament in Iran. And they're going to talk about the life change that they experienced, the, the encounter they had with Jesus because of a New Testament. So as a church, I want us to be about what really matters. I want us to trouble ourselves with what really counts, knowing Jesus for ourselves and helping every single person come to know Jesus as well. And so Elam is a ministry that we're partnering with to help get that done. This New Testament costs $6 to print and get into somebody's hands in Iran. $6. And you saw in the video that uh, the reason they have to be so well bound is because they get used a lot. And it gets passed around from person to person. And by their counts, for every one New Testament that gets its way smuggled into Iran, five to seven people come to know Jesus because of it. Six dollars. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, and I would encourage you to do it with me. If you didn't know this, I work out of Panera Bread uh, throughout the week. 
Uh, they don't give me an office here for some reason. And uh, so I work out of Panera, and I spend about $3 on coffee every time I'm there. And I'm usually in there two to three times a week. So per week, I'm spending 5 to $6 on coffee, which is the cost of one New Testament. So we're going to do this for the next three weeks. Today and then the next two Sundays, all the way through March, we're going to be raising money for what matters most. Sure, we have to turn the lights on. Yes, we have to pay rent. Petty things. What matters most is getting this into people's hands, and it costs $6 to do that. So what I'm going to be doing is if you see me at Panera, you'll see me with water for the next month. Messages might not be as good because I won't have my coffee. But instead of coffee, I'm going to drink water, and that money is going to go to buy Bibles through the end of the month. Our entire family is going to be doing that as well. How many Bibles can you, how many Bibles can you get in people's hands? You may never go to Iran, but $6 in the hands of Elam Ministries gets one Bible into the hands of somebody that desperately needs it around the world. Another way that we're going to partner with them is just through praying. I said we can pray. And out in the lobby, if you go to the table, there is a 30-day prayer guide for the people of Iran and the country of Iran. The church is growing at a rapid rate. Why? Because it's exactly what we read in the book of Acts. When the church gets persecuted, the church grows. And that's what's happening there. So we want to partner with them, cheer them on, pray for them, and support them any way that we possibly can. So you can either write a check to Mountain Lake Church, put Elam in the memo, and all of that money that's designated for Elam, all of that will go directly to Elam Ministries. Every $6 is going to get a New Testament that's sent directly there. Their goal for this year is 200,000 Bibles into Iran. We're a little bit smaller of a church, so I think we can do 300 of that. Do the math. 300 New Testaments. Five to seven people come to know Jesus per New Testament. Let's go on the low side of that. Let's say five. Somebody tell me 300 times five. 1,500 people. If we hit a goal of 300 Bibles, Mountain Lake Church, we have the potential to see life change in 1,500 people because of the one thing that really matters, the one thing that changed my life, and if you know Jesus, the one thing that changed your life, the New Testament, because it tells us who Jesus is. Whether you give $6 or not, may we do what matters most, and may we pay attention to what really counts. For we... And then sing one more song. Let me read one last scripture for you. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. That's our life before Jesus. Verse 4. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed our sins he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. May we only be troubled with what truly matters and let the chips fall where they may. Jesus, thank you so much for helping us prioritize and to forget the petty. Help us pay attention to only what really matters. Convict us, move us, use us in ways that truly matter. Our lives are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.